Welcome to the good old days of radio show. It's Thursday, and Thursday means the creepy, scary, weird programs that this podcast is now quite famous for airing on uh, Thursdays. We put them out there on Thursdays. You can listen to them whenever you want to, but they come out fresh on Thursday. And uh, we are at the end of a series on great horror shows. We have more, and there'll be more in the future, but for now we're at the end of a series, and we're going to finish off today with an episode of Quiet, Please, one of my all-time favorite programs that unfortunately does not... uh, exist in great sound quality, although some of them do, but most of them don't. Um, I think this particular one is fairly good. It's June 18th, 1949, and it's called Pavan, and uh, I guess I'll have more comments after we hear it. So here we go. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Havan. You would think that a man going home after more than half a year here in a little town in France would be happy. I came over here in November on one of those post-war jobs. I've been here in Vignacourt ever since. The house here was built in 1341, and the old cemetery out near the abandoned airfield can tell you how many generations of Rocheforts have lived and died here. It was, of course, the oddest kind of coincidence that I, Andrew Pierre H. Rochefort, whose family had been American since the days of Lafayette, should return to his ancestral home. I am the first Rochefort who has stepped inside this house since the First World War, when Colonel Paul-Marie Rochefort died at Chemin des Dames. Madame Simone, who owns the house now, has been a most satisfactory doyenne to me and to Ahmed Ali Ibn Musa, my Algerian assistant. Even if she does have difficulty comprehending my French and I hers... I have succeeded in having the ancient piano tuned. There's an American cook here in town who was a piano tuner in civilian life. And Ahmed Ali and I have spent some pleasant evenings, alternately at the piano and in long and complicated discussions of Christian and Mohammedan theology. Ahmed shares with me an inordinate admiration for the works of Ravel, and in particular the one called Pavand pour une enfant de Funte. Pavan for a dead princess. You remember? I remember that this night we'd been talking about the curious quality of fatalism that colors the whole life of the Mohammedan. 
It's all prescribed for us, the prophet said, before we're born, you see. But you do admit that individuals can alter the patterns of their own lives and of others, don't you, Ockley? We only think we alter them, Andrew. Whatever we may do is merely bringing to life the, well, the cosmic play script that is already written for us. We're bound by the script as actors are. As a matter of fact, we are actors. Playing parts in a drama. Or a comedy. Yes, or a comedy. That we've never rehearsed. That unfolds for us, minute by minute. Hour by hour. Day by day. Yeah, that's reducing life to a pretty uninteresting formula, Ahmed. Oh, no, by all means, no. On the contrary, I find it provides me, at least, with a consuming curiosity to see what's on the next page. Well, it certainly simplifies things, doesn't it? It occasionally provides a surprise. Such as the fact that I'm not going to play the pavan again for you tonight. What is written is written. <laughs> In that case, I'll just cross up the prophet and play it for you then. Seems the old gentleman is in some kind of trouble and needs me again. Uh, can't he get through one evening without calling for help? I'm sorry. I'll really have to go, you know. Well, all right. See you in the morning, then. Right. Good night. Uh, Ahmed. Yeah? Was that written to? Right. <laughs> Turn out the lights, will you, Ahmed? Thanks. I can't see you. I'm right here. 
I can see you. I'll turn on the light. Oh, no. What? Well, why not? Well, if you turn on the light, I'd have to go away. Go away? Go home, you mean? It isn't exactly home. It's where I'm staying. Did you run away from your mother? No. I don't have any mother. Oh. Would you play some more, please? Why? What would you like to hear? My song, please. The one I was playing? Why do you call it your song? Because I'm the princess. I think. You have a name, though. Oh, yes. Joan. In French, it's Jean. That's a very pretty name. Yes. Please play. All right. Would you like a chocolate bar to take with you? I don't know what that is. It's nice to eat. No, thank you. Well, maybe your folks would like it. I don't have any folks. Do you have? Me? Oh, yes. Uh, I have a wife. You don't have a little girl? No. Not yet. Girl, if you wanted me to. You could. Maybe you wouldn't want me to. Well, I don't know, Joan. I haven't seen you yet. Well, someday you can see me. If you really want to. I'd like to very much. But now I have to go. Uh, would you like me to go with you? It's awfully dark out. Uh, and it's late. Oh, no. I'm not afraid of the dark. I will kiss you now. 
in the dark. I felt the touch of the child's lips on my forehead. And I was conscious of a sweetness and a sadness that was almost a physical blow. And she spoke again in the darkness. I called to her. Joan, wait. Wait, child. Play my song some other night and I'll come back. And then the door closed. And I was alone. I sat for a long time in the dark. Thinking of what the war had done to so many thousands of children. Nameless. Homeless. Hopeless. And it was a long time before I began suddenly to wonder. This little girl, this little princess spoke English. Where did she learn that? And where did she learn the name of the song? Why was she afraid of the light? And I smiled to myself as I thought vaguely of a little girl ghost. But my dreams when I'd gone to bed in the dark were of a little girl who skipped by my side and called me father, but who faded into nothingness when I reached for her hand. I questioned Achmed about her. He knew nearly all the unhappy, skinny children of Vignacourt. None of that description, Andrew. I'm sure I remember it. I asked Miss Lewis, the Quaker girl at the little hospital. No. I'm certain I've never seen a child that answers to that. You say her name is Joan? Joan. That's right. I've never seen her. Well, new children appear almost every day. I'll watch for her, Andrew. I watched the children of the town from my office window. I found myself paying only half-hearted attention to the ponderous trivialities the town dignitaries brought to my desk. I found myself listening for a certain voice and the clamor of children playing somberly in the street. You will pardon me, I am sure. I've always considered myself a practical, down-to-earth person. And I wish you to consider the effect such an occurrence has upon such a man. You can understand, I am sure, that I was forced to two almost inescapable conclusions. The first, that I had seen a ghost, I discarded at once. Almost at once. The second, that I had had an extraordinarily vivid dream. This conclusion I accepted. But, Achmed... I am not so sure you're right, Andrew. There's a way, you know, to make sure. I had almost forgotten that. curiosity. Something about this sweet, childish voice had aroused sentiments in me that I didn't know I possessed. Margaret and I have been married seven years. 
We had resigned ourselves to the fact that we should probably always be childless. But Joan, the homeless, fatherless, motherless waif who had come to me in the darkness, might she not be the child Margaret and I wished we could have? I determined to try to bring her back. Yes, I admit I felt foolish as I sat down in the dark at the piano. And I placed my flashlight beside the keyboard. I was to regret that. It was very dark and very quiet as I began. Where did you come from? I just came in. Where have you been all this time, child? Oh, out there. I've, I've been looking everywhere for you. But you didn't play my song? I was afraid it wouldn't bring you. Did you really want me? I wanted you very much. I'm very glad. I was afraid nobody would want me. Joan, where do you live? Well, I'm not sure. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm just not sure. I don't remember very well. Well, but... Well, Joan, haven't you any parents? Parents? Are they... Well, they're not dead. They're just not. I don't understand you, dear. Why did you call me dear? Well, I... Is it because you love me? Why... Is it? Do you love me? Yes, Joan. Do you have a little girl of your own? No. I wish I could be a little girl. Well, perhaps you could. I could call you Morphe. Why, why, yes. And I would have a mama, too. Oh, yes. I would like. Oh, I would like it very much. Shall I turn on the lights now so we can see each other? No. You couldn't see me if you turned on the lights. Are you afraid I'm not pretty? I'm sure you're pretty. I don't know. You'd have blue eyes and dark hair. Yes. And you'd have a pretty little snub nose. With freckles? With freckles. <laughs> Is that the way you want me? <laughs> exactly. Would my mama love me too? As much as I do, darling. You might not love me if you knew all about me. <laughs> 
Oh, yes, I would. I would love you and Mama very much. All my life I would love you. Then it's settled. Now, let's have a look at you, shall we? I picked up my flashlight and pressed the switch. I called, Joan! Joan! But there was no answer. I sprang up and flicked the wall switch, the bare bulb hanging from the ceiling through every object in the room into bright relief. I was alone. And as I stood there, dazed in the sudden brightness, I heard a small sound. in my heart when I realized what I had done. I need not tell you of the agony that sent me racing into the night outside, calling frantically for the child. I needn't tell you of the doubt and wonder, the wild thoughts that clutched at me. Was it a dream? It, it couldn't have been a dream. Was it a ghost I had seen? I couldn't bring myself to believe that. And yet... I took leave of absence. Ackman and I and Miss Lewis searched every corner of the town. We took long trips into the country, delved into ancient deserted houses, questioned hundreds of people. There isn't another single place to look, Andrew. It was a dream, Andrew. But I knew it couldn't have been a dream. And though my friends tried their best to dissuade me, I could not give up my search. Night after night, I sat at the piano, but never the sound of a softly opening door, never anything but silence and solitude and an overpowering sense of guilt. And I fell ill. Ahmed and Miss Lewis were with me a great deal. Can you break this, Andrew? Watching me, nursing me, stilling my delirium. At last the fever passed and I opened my eyes to the same dingy, ancient room in the house of my forefathers. Then, lying alone in my bed at night, I came to the final, inescapable conclusion. Joan did not exist. Joan had lived in this house in some other time. Joan did not exist. This was a haunted house. And I remember how I wept alone in the dark one night, thinking how I had banished her from me forever. I whispered her name in the darkness. Joan. I was 
you didn't want me, really. You did come back. Do you want me? I don't know how we can do without you, darling. I know. I heard you crying in the night. I did cry, Joan. I know. I cried, too. You know what I thought? You know why I cried? Yes. You thought I was a ghost. But you're not. No. Father. And you are going to be our little girl. You're sure you want me? More than anything else in the world. Would you swear? Yes. No matter what happens? No matter what happens. And you'll always love me? Always. And you won't mind if you can't see me for a little while? Whatever you say, Joan, I, I can't lose you again. And if I'm different when you see me? How old are you, Joan? Why, I'm not old at all. You're... Well, I don't understand you. Of course you're not old. No, I, I don't mean that. My darling, I don't understand. Well, you see, you have to take me the way I am. If you really want me. Of course. You... You sound like a grown-up when you said that. I know what is written. Joan. Then... You take me for your very own, no matter what happens. And I spoke with all the deep sincerity of a man entering into a solemn compact involving the lives of three people. I do, Joan. I will love you as long as I live. Now turn on the lights and let me see my little girl. No. Why not, darling? Because if you turn on the light, you can't see me. But why can't I? Why? Because I'm not born yet, you see. Joan? But I will be. I'll be your really, truly own little girl. Is this true, child? Yes. It's true. Now I can tell you the rest of it. The rest? What? You said I would be your little girl. No matter what, what happened. Yes. I meant it. Tell me what? Darling, what? Oh, Father. I loved you so much. And I deceived you. I wanted you to be my father. Well, what is it? Child, what is it? 
I'll be your little girl. But not for so very long. Why, what do you mean by that? It is written, Father. I have to die when I'm eight years old. It was the next morning that Ahmed brought me the cablegram from Margaret. He read it to me. Our daughter, born this morning, seven o'clock. Seven pounds, dark-haired, blue-eyed loveliness. How do you like Joan for a name? Love, Margaret. You would think that a man going home after eight months in a little town in France would be a happy man. Coming home to see a newborn daughter. You'd think so. Wouldn't you? by Willis Cooper. And the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Joan Laser played Joan. Donald Briggs was Ahmed Ali. And Ann Seymour was Miss Lewis. Albert Berman plays the music for Quiet, please. Now for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Next week, after more than two years, this series of Quiet, Please come to an end. And for our show next week, number 107... I'm giving you a play based on the title of the series, Quiet, Please. And so until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. So he wasn't communicating with a ghost. He was communicating with his unborn daughter. Quite an interesting twist and quite an advanced type story for 1949 radio. Always interesting to hear Willis Cooper's uh, takes on things, and that was very, very good writing as usual. Okay, um, good old Days of Radio show back on Tuesday with comedy, I think. I think we're doing comedy. We're always doing comedy. Um, okay, not comedy. Okay, not comedy on Tuesday. But um, we were with uh, special guest Keith Scott in our series of uh, shows with him. Back next Thursday with a new series to be announced next Thursday. Okay. All right. That's it for the Good Old Days of Radio Show. Check us out on Facebook, Good Old Days of Radio Show, goodolddaysofradio.com on the internet. Tell your friends. Keep the broadcasts or podcasts or whatever they call them these days growing. And we'll see you again next time. 